Geekville Radio's anthology continues for Day 20, National Podcast Post Month in the year of our Lord, 2023, entering the final third, kind of going into the home stretch here. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. And for Day 20 of our Napod Pomo Geekville anthology, we're going old school, we're going nostalgia trip, and we are talking about the classic TV series, The Monsters. I'm sure many of you listening to this have probably watched episodes, if not had favorite episodes about that. So I'll keep this intro short because there's really not much I can say at this point that probably isn't already known. I'll let the episode speak for itself. So it's this intro short but sweet. Let's dive into Nostalgia Trip, where myself, Train, and Uncle Greg talk The Monsters. Geekville Radio. Last night, the police department received several reports of what was described by eyewitnesses as a fiendish monster roaming in Mid-City Park at approximately 12.30 a.m. Isn't that ridiculous? It just so happens that I was in the park last night at that time, and I didn't see any fiends or monsters. <laughs> Welcome once again, Geeks and Geekheads. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, Mayor Geekville, host of most of the Geekville radio shows. As you could probably tell from those clips, we are talking the classic 1964 to 1966 series, The Munsters. And fortunately, I, I don't have to do it alone again. I, we, we got two people helping me out on this one. As usual, from the nice soft padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. We get started on our uh, Halloween-themed October podcast here with nostalgia trip i am really in the halloween spirit uh and mood i went to my second trip already to our local spirit halloween and i'm wearing my camp crystal lake hat and my jason Voorhees socks i bought yesterday and drinking a cup of coffee out of my jason Voorhees mug i think i sent both of you a picture of that it's going to be good when you're drinking a steaming cup of joe out of the the cranium old jason Voorhees. it's going to be a good day then <laughs> and also joining us I think this is the debut for Nostalgia Trip, but from the Pittsburgh area, Uncle Greg Okaba. Well, this. Hi, how are you? Yes, uh, yes, this is my debut for this podcast, is it not? It, it, it's good to be back for the first time. Okay. Um. <laughs> You're definitely not a, not a stranger to the Geekville Radio airwaves, just no. to this particular episode, this particular branch of that family. I, I pop up just often enough to surprise everybody out there. Well, I figure you're in Pittsburgh and zombie capital USA. You got to come out of that bunker every once in a while, right? That's right. I got to keep those things from biting me the other, the rest of the year. So but when I can, I pop up here. We appreciate it. <laughs> Glad to be here. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah. But let's get to it. The, the Monsters ran on NBC from 1964 to 1966. And what's interesting is the premise had been pitched before. Uh, for years, I found out that it actually goes far back as Bob Clampett, who did Beanie and Cecil, wanting to do something like in an animated fashion. And uh, we kind of can't really talk about the Munsters without bringing up the other kind of scary family sitcom, which is the Adams Family. They actually did run at the same time, uh, almost exactly the the same number of uh, episodes, and. I think what happened, and I'm certainly open to correction on this, that NBC knew that the Adams family was coming. So they approved 
the monsters being created and Universal actually produced it. So that's how they were able to use Frankenstein and Dracula lookalikes and all that is because Universal owns all those classic monsters. But one thing that is a little surprising, but not so much when you think about it, was it was produced by the same duo that created Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> Which, when you think about it, part of the whole premise of the monsters is they're a loving family who just happen to look like a bunch of monsters and are completely oblivious to the fact that they look so scary. And that's kind of, to me, that's always been kind of the charm of the show. Does that, that sound like, uh, along your, your interpretation of the show too there, Train? Yeah, yeah, that's how I'd always take it. I, I always thought, of course, there was always the comedy of, oh, uh, what was the cousin that looked like a normal human? Marilyn, oh, yeah. Marilyn, yes, who was quite stunning for the time. But I guess really took it over the top for me was the fact that she was also completely oblivious to that her, she yeah. was the quote-unquote odd one in the family, even though she looked like a normal human. She accepted the fact that Grandpa and, and, and Herman and all that, well, why is everybody thinking they're weird? They're normal. They're my family. I thought right. there was a lot of humor in that as well, for me at least. Right, right. The usual, I think, conventional co comedy logic would be that she is the fish out of water and she just has to put up with all these weirdos when really, to her, they're her family and a very loving family at that. So what did you think about that, Greg? Uh, yeah, that's that, that's my recollection of it. Yeah, they're on the surface. Well, at their core, they're a loving, caring family. But yeah, they they the humor comes from them not realizing that they're different and they do weird stuff but to them it's perfectly normal and they yeah they don't they juxtapose with normal people they don't quite see the difference and doesn't everyone doesn't everyone on this podcast have a pet dragon underneath their stairwell i'm just saying <laughs> well my, mine's actually a centipede but oh, yeah okay okay long as it's not a human centipede but we won't go there no. tonight <laughs> we'll save that for examining the dead cheap plug Ooh. folks but we'll run through the characters here because Again, aside from them looking like classic monsters, they still fit tropes of classic sitcoms of that time. We said we were talking about Leave it to Beaver and such, probably a little bit of I Love Lucy as well. But obviously, obviously, probably the one everybody remembers the most is Herman Munster, played by the brilliant Fred Gwynn. He is modeled after Frankenstein's monster. And despite looking terrifying, Herman is like he's a genuinely kind person who loves his family deeply. He is a bit of an aloof, and I think he's unaware of his own strength as, at, at times. I think and, a perfect de description of him, at least I always say, he legitimately was the classic gentle giant. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a good guy underneath, could be a little mm -hmm. slow in the in the mental department. They think Fessick, the Honor the Giant character from Princess Bride, kind of this similar personalities. Yeah, yeah, I could, I, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, you could, but you could probably put them in the same category. Yeah, he was... Yeah, this lovable Ugg. <laughs> I, 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 could totally, I could totally see Herman with that line. My way is not very sportsmanlike, is it? That is something that Herman yeah. Munster would have said. <laughs> oh, pardon me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Herman is on my bucket list to cosplay someday. Really? You yeah. get the big get get the big stack elevators in your shoe in your shoes and everything? Platforms? Oh, more than likely, yeah. And when you say the classic look. Seth, you you mean the classic Boris Karloff look, which of exactly. course, yeah, is kind of for those that have ever read the Mary Shelley novel, is nothing like what is described by Mary Shelley in her novel. Yeah, I think it speaks to Boris and to oh, I'm, I'm the, the name is is, for, is slipping. Maybe Greg knows the 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 brilliant makeup effects artist who created that look 
it's become iconic. It is what we think of as the Frankenstein monster now with the bolts in the neck and the flat squared forehead and the stitches. That is usurped what the actual source material is, is when you say Frankenstein, whether you're a horror junkie like me, a semi-horror junkie like Greg, or kind of a casual fan like you said, that's automatically the picture that pops in your head. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and now, I never did read the actual novel, but I seem to mm -hmm. recall the Kenneth Branagh Frankenstein that the way the monster looked in that, I think that was Robert De Niro, that's yeah, probably that's closer to how Mary Shelley right. had it in her head. Exactly. And, and, of course, around the same time, you had the, the Francis Ford Coppola, Bram Stoker's Dracula come out, the Gary Oldham with the white bun hair and the red and the long, that is more in line with what is in Bram Stoker's novel. But that's not what people think of. They think of, they think of the Bela Lugosi take on it. The right. suave, European, dark, foreboding, foreigner, bit of mystery about him. And I think that just speaks to, we're coming up on almost 100 years since those movies were made. We're about 10 years or 90 some odd years. And mm -hmm. that's still what we think of in pop culture. That I think speaks to the importance of those universal movies because this is still 30 years later when the monsters come out and that's still what the general population thinks of as the frankenstein monster and dracula yeah that's that's a big part of why they did the monsters in the first place was because uh as as the baby boomers were devouring that stuff in re-release and uh the monsters were more popular than ever and they had had some success mixing that with comedy with abbott and costello sure you know? and universal had the rights to all that stuff so yeah, again, seeing the Adams family start to take off, Universal decided to jump on that bandwagon, and they ended up doing pretty well with it. But isn't that the way it always works in entertainment? Is it, is it ever occurred to anyone part of the reason Stranger Things has become the phenomenon it has is because it deals heavily in 80s nostalgia and pop iconography? Well, who's watching it? People our age. When did we all grow up? Hello? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Moving on through the characters, Lily Munster, who is Herman's wife, portrayed by the lovely Yvonne DiCarlo. She is appropriately modeled after the Bride of Frankenstein. And I think the best thing I can say about Lily is she is probably the smartest person in the family. And she tends Without to question. be, she tends to be kind of the nurturing mother figure. She's always mm -hmm. given some words of wisdom and she's, she's usually able to calm Herman down when Herman realizes he's done something stupid. Yeah. And, if, if, you know, if you go back to our first, our first nostalgia trip, which was the Dukes of Hazard. There's a lot of similarities between Lily Munster and Uncle Jesse. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yes. Another thing with Lily, she's designed to look like Bride of Frankenstein and she is a Bride of Frankenstein. She's also being grandpa's daughter. She's also Dracula's daughter. And the name Lily could kind of tie back to Lilith, the figure from Jewish mythology who hasn't been interpreted in some cultures as a vampire. The mother of all vampires, actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so th that was uh, kind of a clever choice there. So you got the uh, lovable lunk in the lead, and you got the nurturing mother character. That that there's a reason why that happens so so often is because when it's done well, it works. And I think when you deal with the casting, I think you have to remember this is mid '60s. Fred Gwynn was already established as a big time money draw on sitcoms on television as a comedic lead because wasn't he the lead in Car Fifty Four? Where are you? Yes, uh, yes, along with Al Lewis, along mm -hmm. with Al yeah. Lewis and their, and their chemistry it ca more than carried over. I'd say it actually uh, got even um, got even stronger, and that was a big part of 
what made the Munsters so good was that those two were played off each other so well and mm -hmm. were so good at what they did. And unfortunately, the downside to that, I think, is that it's been big shoes to fill literally and figuratively sure. ever since for subsequent iterations that haven't quite clicked or picked up the same. Although, if memory serves me, the Munsters today actually ran more episodes than the original Munsters, but it was nowhere near <laughs> successful. Well, I, I think I think once again to go back to the Stranger and Danger Things analogy, whatever's old is new again. Hollywood, we talk about it all the time on all our podcasts. That if it works, they're gonna they're gonna bleed it till it's dry, and that's not a knock on Al Lewis or Fred Gwynn. We see it today. Thinking back to my childhood, Mork and Mindy, one of the biggest shows, comedy shows of our childhood. Well, fast forward was eight ten years later, and Pam Dauber had another show that was also mm -hmm. a comedy. They, Pam yep. Dauber was a known commodity. She was, it's what they do. Mm. Mary Lou Henner wound up in evening shade with Burt Reynolds where she had already established herself because of taxi. It's just what Holly, to stay on the taxi. Danny DeVito, now he's in every, it's always sunny. Mm -hmm. It's what Hollywood does. That's how typecasting gets, comes to be, isn't it? Yep. Why do you think Leslie Nielsen started doing so many screwball comedies after Airplane, I think it was? Oh yeah. One long after that, here comes Police Squad, which is still hilarious. Mm -hmm. And don't call me Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> so going through the character tropes, we had grandpa, sometimes called grandpa Munster, sometimes called the count. And I think when they went into his background, it's like, he's not the Dracula. He, it's like his real name is Sam Dracula. So, so he's, he, he's, he's not that Dracula. <laughs> so he's not Vlad Tepish is what you're saying. Right. Right. But once again, well, he, he, might, he might as well be for the show's purposes. Yeah, he fills that role and right. Yeah. He's, yeah, it's, it's hard to picture anyone but Al Lewis playing that role. And it's been attempted, but yeah, like I said, it's big shoes to fill. Well, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Both of you guys are bigger fans of this than I was. I, was. I vaguely remember, and, and, I, and caveat and full transparency to our listeners, The Monsters was, though I've seen it many times, I'm not, and I am a fan of it, and, and the Adams family, quite, quite frankly, too. Neither one of those were shows that were on the old UHF stations in regular rotation from the old shows where I grew up. The, <laughs> show, the old shows where I grew up were like Lone Ranger, I Love Lucy, uh, My Favorite Martian was on all the time, Leave It to Beaver, My Three Sons. They came on, but they didn't come on that often. So it's it, that's why I cede some of my knowledge to both y'all because you probably in, in Pittsburgh and Chicago probably got them more than I did in Denver or in Greenville. But I, I vaguely remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, wasn't there an episode that dealt with the idea that Herman actually was the legitimate creation of Victor Frankenstein? Uh, there was at least one, I think. Yes. Well, I can tell you he, one, and I'll tell you my favorite episode of the series was called uh, Will Success Spoil Herman Munster. It was where mm -hmm. he, he became a pop star. And I vaguely remember about, that one. I vaguely remember mm -hmm. that one. <laughs> sang a song about being created by Dr. Frankenstein. So that, uh, uh, well, that definitely, that, def that definitely dangles a carrot then, doesn't it? Yeah, because I yep. think, I think there was an episode, I haven't seen it, but I, there, I believe there was an episode where a guest actor played Victor Frankenstein the fourth. So what would that be? <laughs> what would that be? Great, uh, I, I guess, uh, great grandson uh, of the guy. Something that, else, something. Yeah. And, and it was like, but it, it had something to do with Lilia married, married Herman. And that's when Herman left Dr. Frankenstein or, or got away from Dr. Frankenstein was when he married Lily. Cause they've said they've been married for like, uh, I'm, just the episodes I was watching earlier today to prep for this. I think Lily said something about they've been married for 100 or 150 years or something like that. So, ah, okay. That, that would put the, the 
age or the years uh, about right. Yeah, but, and, and if you're looking at source materials for the actual monsters, you have to remember Mary Shelley's Frankenstein came out, I was 1817, I believe. And mm -hmm. Bram Stoker's Dracula didn't come out till 1898. So there's there's like 80-year gap between the two source materials for those creatures. But Right, right. Makes makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Frankenstein was essentially early Victorian England, and, and Dracula was late Victorian. Remember, she reigned for 60-plus years. It was a long time, so. <laughs> right. Now, Grandpa, as far as the tropes, he's like that uh, – crazy uncle or the goofiest of the characters you might say he was played by al lewis modeled after dracula uh, he, because he had the trope of he's he was always trying something he'd have many times his experiments would go awry and that leads to the main dilemma of the episode but he's also in addition to hinting at being a vampire he uses various types of magics over the course of the show he he had the ability to turn into a wolf he had the ability to turn into a bat and uh, he'd make like love potions and stuff like that that and I just, I guess the closest thing I could compare him to for a, for a modern audience is Kramer from Seinfeld. I always kind of saw him a little bit too, as, as the, the traditional trope of the mad scientist from those old horror movies. Yeah. There's several episodes where he's trying to work on an invention and. Right. It would not be unusual to see his character with like the dark goggles on in the, in the lab with the, the, the Tesla coil here and the theremin in the background. Right, right. Uh, Greg, did you have any thoughts on Grandpa? That pretty much covers it. He, it's easy to compare them to the Adams family, and he he would match up probably the closest with Uncle Fester, who yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yep, very very had some similar traits of his own. And yeah, as far as typecasting after the show ended, Al Lewis was the one who really wasn't all that concerned about it because he embraced the Grandpa character wholeheartedly. Right, and as Fred Gwynn kind of he was. I believe he was an idly educated man. He wanted to be taken seriously as an actor, but being so darn popular as Herman kind of made that tough for him. But Al Lewis had no such qualms, and he embraced the role of grandpa and carried on with it. And he eventually became a horror host on TBS in the 80s. Yep. He had his own show called Super Scary Saturday, which was uh, where it was probably the first horror host that I was really exposed to a lot, being um, probably an eight-year-old kid and getting cable TV and it was pretty cool to see him. I, I'm, if you ever watch any of those episodes on YouTube, if you can find them anywhere, uh, you may find yourself questioning his sobriety in some of those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> you bring up an interesting thing with Fred Gwynn and the typecasting and how you want to be taken more seriously. Uh, this is just my speculation, ladies and gentlemen, I want to get both your opinion on it. I've always felt that Fred Gwynn at the end of his life and career was trying to come to terms with the acceptance and the, uh, of the horror fandom from the days of Munster with this desire to be seen as a serious actor. And thus that's part of the reason he took that role in pet cemetery in the, in 88. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And then one of the things that I point to for maybe a more modern fan who might only know him from Munster's, Remember, he had that famous, it was, I mean, it was his final role in My Cousin Vinny, where he was the judge and goes, what is a ute? <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, 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 that was a return back to showing you how great his comedic timing was. But I right. think with the role in Pet Cemetery, here he is as a dramatic, serious horror movie based on a popular Stephen King novel. He gets to show off his acting chops by doing that main accent that he does in it. But he also knows by this point, we're 20-some-odd we're years into the future, 
from removed from the monsters run, he knows those kids that watched it in the sixties, they're now adults and probably into horror because of the monsters. That's just always been my, my conspiracy. Let's say ye on that, Greg. It checks out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he did try to make peace with it as he got older. As a Rocky horror fan and a regular on the midnight showings when I was a teenager, I know that that has been a movie where a lot of, especially Tim Curry, have been very divisive because they all got typecast. Some of them accepted it. Some of them haven't. And as time has gone on, I think they've all, even Tim Curry, have softened a little bit. Meatloaf, Barry Boswick, they always were, yeah, they loved the fact that they did it. Susan mm -hmm. Sarandon, Tim Curry, not so much, but even both of them have softened over time because they've seen the cultural significance of that film. I think even a guy like Fred Gwynn, as time went on, he saw the cultural significance of the monsters and says, I probably need to embrace this. Yeah. I actually, I think I remember seeing part of the interview with him where he said, uh, try as I might, I just can't stay mad at that Herman Munster fellow. <laughs> <laughs> he like, well, Seth said he was the lovable lug. So yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> right. Right. And really a lot of the show's heart, a lot of the show's best moments are the interactions between Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis. And really, cause of course, going back to car 54 before that, uh, the character, he, he was Muldoon, I think, in Car 54. Right. And that was kind of a similar thing. He, he, was a bit, he was a bit of a lovable idiot in that show, too. <laughs> so, well, Fred Gwynn was a big man. Wasn't he about 6'6 six, six in real life? Yes. I think he was 6'5", yeah, 6'6", six, 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 yeah. And he had to be well over 250 pounds. He looked like a freaking defensive end or linebacker is what he looked like. He didn't look like an actor, a big man. Right. Yeah. Although, and he looked even bigger with all the padding he wore. And uh, from, what, from what I hear, he... He was risking dehydration pretty much every time he suited up as Herman. Like, uh, I think it was Pat Priest said she remembered him just uh, guzzling lemonade and uh, to try and keep hydrated. Yeah, he probably um, should have talked talk to Boris because Boris was still alive at that point and said, what am I going to be dealing with this? Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard you know, some of those stories with Boris, too. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder that because uh, Boris was, yeah, he was getting old, but he was still alive when that show was on and he was still making appearances here and there. But uh, sure. I don't think he ever really bought into horror comedy as a genre. No. Like, from what I heard, he was not, not really into Abbott and yeah. Costello meet Frankenstein. He did, he did, uh, and I guess that's his choice. But after these things have been around for a while, they start to, the horror factor kind of cools off and you have to do something new with them. And a uh, horror comedy is kind of the logical next step from that. And it sure worked pretty well. He, uh, yeah, Boris would have been interesting. Uh, we did get John Carradine on. The monsters did we not i believe yeah. so yeah i believe he yeah, played he, herman's they're, boss they're, i think you're they're the boss yeah yeah and people tend to forget when you talk about Carradine. yes bella will always be the definitive dracula from a lot of people for another group of people it's always going to be it's always going to be christopher lee i think that even gary oldman has his fans uh, i'm frank personally i'm a big fan of the frank langella and jack palance's take on the character yeah but john great. John Carradine, because he did so many of those cheap Mexican horror movies where he played Dracula, I believe I read one time, he actually, on film, played the Count more than any other actor. Wow. That, that sounds very conceivable, yeah. We forget that in those later, that later universal cycle where they were doing the moving more towards a comedy like you guys are talking about, and several of those, Bella did not reprise the role of the Count. Carradine did. Bella only ever played Dracula twice in the original yep. movie, and... And Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That was it. But he, it. He, he played similar characters in other movies for other studios, which kind of uh, conflates in people's memories. But yeah, he, right. was, he, he was so darn good that he was uh, known as it. And again, typecast and, probably. 
Yeah, another guy who was a very serious actor who was upset about the fact that he had been typecast in that role. And like mm-hmm. you said, Al Lewis has kind of accepted it and and embraced it. Poor Bella never did. And it, 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 it I guess that insult to injury, the final role he had in Plan 9 by Ed Wood just kind of sealed his fate there on that one. Right. And and if anybody wanted to forget that, Martin Landau's Oscar-winning role <laughs> is not going to help remove that thought any. <laughs> right. Yep. You know I turned down Shragan's time here. <laughs> which, he, which he did. That's mm-hmm. true. Uh, yep. That was yep. the one quote of his, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then I think when you want to talk that whole cycle, you can't not mention Lon Chaney Jr. That guy, here's a guy who's living in the shadow of a legitimate Hollywood icon and his dad and all those great roles he created. I think Lon Chaney is the saddest of all of them. And all these people will talk about because he, it's well documented now. He had a lot of drinking and drug problems. I think he just got to the point where he was just doing roles because he needed a paycheck because he had to feed he had to feed his demons and that's yeah. sad because I, I I think if you go back and watch the original Wolfman you can see Lon Chaney Jr. had acting oh yeah 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 he had some some major pathos going on there oh yeah there's so much angst and sorrow in that character and he he just it it, it he emotes it through the through the screen which mm-hmm. I guess talking about the Wolfman is is the logical next step is talk about the next family member Seth yep. Yep, that, that would that would be Eddie Munster, who was the child. He he was in in story in in the show. He was Lily and Herman's son, and he's kind of a mix between a vam- vampire and a wolfman. He could turn into a a, a wolf boy, basically, played mm. by B- Butch Patrick, who I think is the only remaining living cast member uh, of the show uh, now. Bibles. Uh, Pat Priest is still alive. Oh, okay. Uh, of course, but, he had, like you said, he had the mix because he even had the widow's peak when he wasn't wolfed out. Right. The very, the very Bella, you know, widow's peak at the front of his hairline. Right. And, but Eddie was kind of the beaver of the show. He was, he was the kid and, mm-hmm. you know, was just kind of gosh, golly gee, all, uh, all the time. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that's another one when you talk about getting typecast and it's especially hard for child actors, I think. You oh know, yeah. There's so many child actors that they, they get one signature role and then that's, all they wind up getting known for. Macaulay Calkin much? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's he tried like crazy to break it, but he'll always be Kevin from Home Alone, no matter and he's kind of embraced that now. He's kind yeah. of embraced that. But but for, for one of some of my favorite stuff from the and it was more as an adult when I've watched it now as an as an adult, was the interplay between him and Marilyn, where she was the loving older, even though she wasn't his sibling, but she she, she filled that role. And how you could tell she doted on 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 Eddie and she loved him. Uh, maybe it's because I have a strained relationship with my older sister. Maybe it's because my my daughter is older than my son. Maybe it's because I work with kids now. I liked that. I thought that was very believable and real. And I thought the two young actors did a great job in bringing that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of Marilyn, she's really the last regular cast member. We talked a little bit about uh, her earlier, but unlike the rest of the family... Marilyn looks like a normal woman. She loves her family as well. She doesn't see her relatives as looking strange. And another thing that pops up every now and then is her love life has, and how, how she is, al- is almost always single. Or when, usually when she gets a date and the boyfriend goes to meet the family, the, the, it, the skit usually ends with them running in terror. And poor, poor Marilyn, she just loves her family, so she winds up blaming herself because she just can't understand why people would object to to her family so she kind of takes it uh, hard on herself a lot of times she was portrayed by beverly owen for the first half of season one 
and then the rest of the show was was played by by Pat Priest. But they, I think it's just they looked similar enough, and I think they just had similar takes on the character. There, I I didn't notice yeah. until what not, wasn't Marilyn you know, supposed to be like a high schooler or college age kid? She was yeah, she was meant to be like late teens, and Pat Priest was actually thirty years old at the time. But she but she actually. One advantage she had, besides the fact that she looked exactly like Beverly Owen, I, I, I freaking I can't tell the freaking difference half the time. More than half the time, <laughs> right? You really have to look. Uh, and she even wore the same same clothing size, so they didn't have to change the wardrobe. So she kind of had that wow. going in her face. Well, so yeah, that helps. That helps a lot, actually. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So she was their ugly duckling. Yeah. I I was I had the pleasure of meeting. Pat Priest at a con a few years ago. Uh, she was a very sweet lady, and I, I would actually, ad- I would, if I could adopt an actress as my Hollywood grandma, it would be her. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I also think too that <clears throat> with that character, you're once again. We this has been a recurring theme in this episode, this nostalgia trip. Hollywood's always going to recycle. We can go all the way back to like the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet, and this inherent comedy in teenagers and their love lives mm-hmm. it's something everybody can relate to come on yeah yep. right yeah and and i might have said it uh earlier so sorry if I'm, I'm repeating again but the kind of the conventional comedy logic would be that she would be the fish out of water like she'd be the one trying to you mm-hmm. know, having to put it but she in her mind she fits right in you know what sure. what's what and i think it contradicted over the years whether she was lily's sister's uh daughter or whether it was whether it was actually herman's uh niece by uh, by blood but don't ask don't ask know. me how how i always at least the interpretation i always got was that she was lily's sister's daughter yeah, yeah maybe maybe i'm wrong it, it it may not have even been consistent that that's, i don't think they put too much work continuity, continuity was yeah right right <laughs> shows for funny uh-huh yeah. Yeah, I'm not. So con- that's where that's where the writers of Friday the Thirteenth franchise got it, got the idea from. That doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying this to complain. I'm saying it just because it 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 was what it was. A lot of shows back then, especially sitcoms, they were kind of cookie cutter. They were all independent, standalone stories with no real ongoing storyline. And these were also times when a, a season for a show might might be. 30 40 episodes now you're you're lucky to get more than 20 uh for most yeah of and, and, and if it's one that's made for a streaming network you're lucky to get 10 right right <laughs> so but this, this was i think 70 episodes over those two years so that averages to what 30, 35 per season yeah 70 episodes by today's standards would be like what eight seasons mm-hmm. no, something it, like it was a yeah schedule it was, it was a grueling schedule for them and i think that's part of why beverly owen quit and also she was I think she was living far away from her fiance and she just couldn't take it anymore. And yeah, well, they, it is what it is. And they brought in pet priest completely and, off topic. That's why I've always, though they're laughed at respected soap opera actors and actresses. They're the only ones left in Hollywood that have that kind of shooting, shooting schedule where yeah. think about it, They're putting out a, a half hour. There's not many left I'm, in nowadays, but they're putting out a half hour to hour of original content daily, five days a week, year round. Mm-hmm. That's ask any other actor, actress, stage, movies, TV. They would go no way. Right. Even even like major Broadway productions, stage productions, you will have one or two shows a week where the understudy will take over the role for like a matinee show just to give the star the the, the re- regular actors a break. Now, so back then, you're right. So it was nuts, dude. That was absolutely insane. 
Now, there were other family members that would pop up from time to time. I think, didn't they have, like, one that was an invisible man that would usually interact with Grandpa, which you can imagine Al Lewis talking to an invisible man and how he'd make it work. I forget the name of that character, though. And I think well, he, was it played by Claude Rains, was it? <laughs> get that. Yeah. Um, but there were also four pets. There was Spot the, the Dragon, who we never fully seen because he's you know probably too big. Uh, Grandpa's pet bat, Igor, that he can also somehow uh-huh. under, under, understand. And then there's Charlie, the, the if it's a crow or a raven that serves as the cuckoo clock. And then there's yep. Kitty, a normal-looking cat who roars like a lion. I, I don't think I missed anything there, but... No, I think you got them all. Yeah. And, of course, I, I mentioned it already. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Spot. I want a pet dragon underneath my stairwell. Just Yes. Just, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to say, as far as being compared to the Adams Family, you may have seen the YouTube series Death Battle where they take two, two characters and have them theoretically fight to the death. Sure. And to, to me, I think a lot of the endings are made to cut to further discussion rather than to get a definitive answer, which is understandable. But if the Adams family were to fight the monsters, I think spot is the reason why the monsters would win. <laughs> probably, probably. I don't think there's anything that the Adams family got in there on their bench that could, 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 could match that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could say Gomez is a well-trained swordsman and the Adams family are most likely more proficient with weapons by a, a significant degree, even though they're not as physically powerful. But yeah, when you got a dragon in your corner, you're probably going to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Herman would find a way to, like, fall on the right spot and, and like, bumble his way to victory. Well, oh, yeah, he, he could win by accident, yeah. Taking off of what Greg just said, I, it's like, once again, it's hard for me to get out of the wrestling mode because it was so much a part of my life for so many years. Gomez Adams versus Herman Munster is the legitimate speed and quickness versus versus power. match. <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know? Nope. And, and Gomez is no brainiac either. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, think, I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Kevin Nash versus Rey Mysterio or the Big Show versus Rey Mysterio. Those matches. That's kind of what I'm thinking there. <laughs> Kevin Nash versus Shawn Michaels. Hmm. Uh, I'm thinking Shawn for Gomez. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, but but we all know that that Shawn carried Kevin to that match. I don't know if Gomez carries Herman. <laughs> I, think Her- I think Herman's good enough. He can carry his own into the match. <laughs> but I digress, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Two other things that I wanted to talk about, and I think we, we we're all on page here with with how cool these are. Now, those are the two iconic cars. There was the Munster Coach, which was I think it was an amalgam of like three Ford Model Ts and built by George Barris, who made several iconic cars for TV shows like the Batmobile and such. Right, that, that's the car you see the most often. And I did watch the episode. It was in the early on in the first season. Lily actually bought a car and a hearse and then hired somebody to put them together as a birthday present for Herman. So the car actually came from, from Lily and the other car, uh, you don't have to be a Munsters fan to know the name. The other car was, was the Dragula, which was built by grandpa. And that was the roadster. That was not the roadster, but the drag racer. And yep. that was the car that was designed to look like a coffin. And then, and then it's got the tombstone and for the nose that says like 1397, to question mark or something like that, like like mm-hmm. it, it implies that's how old Grandpa is, right? And of course, the not well known fact, not even hidden, been been said many times by Rob Zombie that his famous song Dragula is about that car. If you listen to the lyrics, which sometimes can be hard to understand, Rob, he's talking about a car race, and he he's yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Rob was a fan of the Monsters growing up, which 
being around our age, looking at his music, looking at his his filmography as a director, does this shock anyone? No. Nope. <laughs> nope, no, no. In fact, there's sometimes where I see Rob Zombie and I'm like, okay, he's channeling a little a little bit of the original Svengoolie in, uh, in, in his A little book. bit, a little yeah. bit. Think about the, the, the chorus to that song. Burn, dig through the ditches and burn through the witches and slam in the back of my Dragula. Yeah, it's about a car race, guys. It's yeah. the, it's yeah, not yeah. what you think it is. Right. But that's that's all I had. I, I didn't know if you guys had anything else you wanted to talk about, if you wanted to talk about the the, the newer series. which Monsters Today was the one that was in the 80s, right? Well, yeah, well I, there, were, there were also two movies. There was, after the show ended, after it was kind of canceled, um, Adam West Batman kind of pushed it out of the way in the ratings, and they did a movie in color, which was uh, Monster Go Home, which Spengooly has been known to air, speaking of him. And then in the, in the early 80s, there was uh, Monster's Revenge, which was a TV movie, I believe. Yeah, I remember seeing that as a kid. I remember yeah. that, yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, because yeah, the, the first one was theatrical, right? I, I, yep, second hand of TV. Yeah. And, and, I, and I remember my dad questioning, are they going to be able to pull this off? Because it was like 15 years, 15, 18 years later. And obviously Fred Gwynn and, and, and DiCarlo, they'd all aged by them. Yeah, Al Lewis. But they all wore so much makeup, it you couldn't tell. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, they, they did have to recast the in Maryland. Oh, Eddie, well, they didn't recast Eddie for Monster Go Home. Yeah, Butch Patrick was was young enough that he was able to keep going. But they, they they still recast Pat Priest, which is kind of a bummer. But, yeah, they kept going, yeah, with the rest of the original cast for that one. And then, yeah, 15 years later for the, for the TV movie, they kind of had to. If I remember uh, correctly, the TV movie came out around the same time, maybe not maybe not the same year, but in the same time frame as that infamous uh, TV movie version of The Headless Horseman that's been discussed before by, by you two on other past Geekville-associated podcasts, the one with Dick Butkus in it. With, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Jeff Bloom and Dick Butkus, yeah, yeah. Yes. I believe those two came out around the same time and they were both made for TV Halloween-type things. Am I wrong in, feeling, in thinking that? It sounds right. I think it sounds about right. Yeah. 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 Now, my, like, like I had said earlier, I did not watch the Munchers as much as you did because of where I grew up. It just was not in the regular rotation of the old TV shows where I kind of got into, I had seen it and I liked what I saw, but I guess my pull into, into, I need to look into this a little bit more. And I was older, so I could, was as a teenager when, when, Gremlins 2 came out, and I thought that actually was Al Lewis, but as we were prepping for this, Uncle Greg corrected me. What was that? What was up with that Al Lewis-type character from the Gremlins 2 movie? And was it 86? Uh, 88 it came out, I think? Uh, yeah, it was, I, think, I want to say it was 89. Uh, I could oh, be wrong, okay. but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it was 89. Yeah, Gremlins 2 was kind of a, a parody of Ted Turner and his cable network, which was Clamp Cable Network, CCN, Turner yeah, and so uh, yeah, these jokes were all over the place. And he had a horror host named Grandpa Fred, who was pretty much a spoof of Grandpa Al Lewis. And by rights, they probably could have gotten the actual Al Lewis that they had asked, but they didn't. So uh, they had a parody of him, and he ended up interacting with the Gremlins uh, a little bit more successfully than most of the other characters did. And well, I have to say, even though I wasn't a huge fan of our. our not a, well, I wasn't a huge fan. It just as somebody who had not watched a lot of monsters, the fact that I was 18 years old, I saw this and thought that it was actually Al Lewis. 
I think that speaks to how well Hal Lewis did in the role <laughs> that, that, he, that I was fooled. And, and I, gosh, I've been thinking that for 30 plus years until you smartened me up, Greg. So kudos <laughs> to Hal Lewis, right? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, I will say uh, he was, Grandpa Fred in the movie was uh, more sober than, um, than Hal Lewis was on Super Scary Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, I remember Super Scary Saturday. And he was definitely, what's the word I'm looking for? Trying to keep this family friendly because it's not examining the dead. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> he had imbibed it, 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 adult, adult beverages without question. I'm sorry. I'm glad there wasn't. There is such a thing as smell of vision because you might have gotten inebriated off the fumes. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it, well, it, it varied from episode to episode, I think. And, well, Al Lewis was well known for his uh, enjoyment of, for being pro-marijuana. And th there was a lot of dry ice on that set, but uh, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it wasn't some other more natural smoke effect. I don't know. Just, it just, it's just another possible explanation. Now, if anybody is listening to this and are curious if the original Munsters is streaming it anywhere, I can confirm it is on the free tier of Peacock. So you can actually watch it for free without having to uh, worry about paying anything or a trial or, or anything like that. You can just hop on the free version of Peacock and watch it. That's NBC's streaming service. So if any of you have the time, I would definitely recommend checking it out. But And what was the release date on Monsters today again? What was what was his debut? 1988, I want to say. See, what was the, what, maybe it's the other one I'm thinking of. Wasn't there one that came out in the 90s that starred, I want to say, Ed, uh, Edward Herman as Herman Munster? Oh, if there is, I've totally forgotten about it. There, there's been other attempts. And more recently, there was, 1313 Mockingbird Lane, which was more of a, a dark reimagining. None of them were able to really capture quite the same magic. And I think it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it might just go back to yeah, Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis just being so darn good at yep. what they did that yep. it's just hard to fill in for them. Why, didn't, why does Hollywood do that? For those that don't know, we didn't mention that. The address of, of of the house that the monsters lived in was thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane, thus the name of that dark reimagining you're talking about. Right. And of course, uh, Herman was an Undertaker, was, wasn't he? Undertaker, wasn't he? Yeah, Gravedigger, Undertaker. Yeah. Okay. So, so it, it was other than I can think maybe Riverdale, a dark reimagining of the RG comics, which by the way had already been done in the comics before the TV show became a hit. You've got that. You've got. God bless him, Tim Burton trying to turn Dark Shadows into a comedy when it was right. a dark gothic soap opera. Why are people doing that? It don't work, man. Yeah. It so it's like it's like what what I said at the top of the show. Part of the reason I think for the charm of the show was it was wholesome family entertainment. There wasn't anything dark about the show itself, uh, and these were just people who just happened to look like famous monsters and were just completely oblivious to the fact that they look like monsters. They they. They right. they were normal. You know? Well, I don't think you, I don't think you can undersell what the point Greg just made though. That the, the comedic mm -hmm. timing and 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 the chemistry between Al Lewis and Fred Gwynn was magic. Right. That's as we would say in the rest of it. That's lightning in a bottle, man. You're only going to catch it once. Yes. Right. There's a reason why the new Midnight Express never got the success that the original Midnight Express did. And that's <laughs> not a narc on Bart Gunn or or Bob Holly. They're both good wrestlers. Right. It just right. it's not what they are. And and it, it, it's. I remember another one because you said there were multiple attempts. I see. I vaguely remember, and maybe I'm thinking it is Monsters Today. It was just reruns. I'm remembering one from when I was in college in the mid '90s in University of Georgia. I could be wrong. 
I wasn't really focusing a lot on television. At that point, I was going to the gym, playing ball, and trying to not flunk in my degree. So that was, but, and, and quite frankly, most of the stuff I was watching at that point was either sports related or movies that we, we, my fraternity brothers and I would want to watch. And I can't lie, it seemed like every week, at least once a week, we watched Purple Rain, Coming to America, and the original Shaft. So it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> all, all three great movies, by the way. I'm just saying, none of them horror. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. There, no, no, nothing wrong with any of those. No, no, no. Who doesn't want to be John Shaft? Come on. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> all right. Anything else you guys wanted to bring bring up or talk about? Anything? Any, any good memories? Well, I know Greg. You're a big fan of Al Lewis. Did you ever get a chance to meet him at a con or anything? I sadly did not. He was. He had kind of. I don't think he was traveling quite as much by the time I was into cons quite heavily. And yeah, like I said, I did meet Pat Priest and I think she still shows up here and there. And Bush Patrick is not too hard to find when. Yeah, I believe he was at a con I was at. I just didn't go to his, his Q&A, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's always, always fun to have there. But what about uh, you, Seth? Seth, you've been to cons. You caught any of these people before they they left us? Uh, no, no. I, I didn't really start going to cons regularly until probably the last, uh, 20 years, but when you, when you, when you get Spider-Man 129 autographed by Stan Lee, that kind of motivates you to keep, <laughs> keep going. Yeah. 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 I'd say you made the right choice. But the one other thing about the Mockingbird uh, thing is there was never a state given for the original show's location. It, it was, but it had been referred to as Mockingbird Heights, but it, it was just kind of a typical suburban area. Although as a lot of moving TV fans may, may know, the, the house, the Munster Mansion, that was used in a lot of TV shows and movies as well. And most, probably most recently, it was the, the main house for Desperate Housewives. It had been, now it had been remodeled a few times since then. Obviously, it didn't look like a goth mansion any, anymore, but that is actually yep. the, sa- the same house. They do that all the time. The, 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 the Myers house from the Halloween franchise, it's a dentist's office in LA now. It is what it is, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Me, maybe I'm just being the smart ass that Crazy Train is. I always kind of assumed it was California because I was smarter to realize like 99% of those shows back then were filmed in California. Come on. It, a lot of it looked like what it was. It was the back lots, wasn't it? I mean, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Some of the stuff looked like it It, it was probably a set. And you know, very little. Of it. I don't think there's too much of it that truly was filmed out outdoors, but I'd have to see more more episodes. Obviously, when they're driving the cars, they're, 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 they're outdoors, but. I've never been to Korea. I can't speak to what Korea looks like, but being MASH being my favorite television show, I assume that the, that the, that the, the central part of the nation of of South Korea looks like the back lot of 20th century Fox. Cause that's where they filmed it. That's where they built the sets. I don't know. The famous, you know, helicopter coming over the mountains. That's the Sierra Madres in LA, ladies and gentlemen, that's not Korea, but eh, it is what it is. Geekville radio. And that really is just one of those great shows where I don't think there were ever any truly bad episodes, at least from what I had seen with the Munsters. And a little spoiler alert for tomorrow's episode for Day 21. We're keeping in with the Halloween family theme, and we're going to dive into the big competitor for the Munsters, that being the Addams Family. We did that episode a year after we did the Munsters one, and we'll be replaying it here for your enjoyment tomorrow. This has been Geekville Radio. You can find us at Geekville Radio. You can search for us wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We're all over 
Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much you name it. Just do a search for Geek Radio. You can find us as well as our sister episode, as well as our sister show, Classic Wrestling Memories. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us a review. Let us know what we're doing well. Let us know what we can improve on because I am always looking for ways to improve these shows here. And I always welcome feedback, especially when it is positive, especially when it is genuine. So we're going to shut down the power here in Geekville Radio Studios. We'll talk to you folks again tomorrow for day 21 of Napod Pomo and our look at the Adams Family. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of geekvilleradio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliates. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved.